Marius was up on the hill while we were doing that concert, keeping a careful eye on that polar bear and observing it. And, you know, in the footage we got, we included Marius's footage of the polar bear from up on the hill as the polar bear kind of like woke up and walked to the edge of the island in the direction that AP and I were sirening out from the bay. Uh, yeah, it was pretty special, man. It was pretty unreal. My name is Peter Holliday, and this is The Land Behind, a podcast devoted to exploring questions of photography, perception, and place. When I named this project, I wanted a title which reflected the feeling of venturing into a new place. I was searching for a specific term or phrase that spoke to the future perspectives that remain concealed by the familiar landscapes which have already been mapped. Moreover, I view this podcast not only as a conversation on photography, but as a general invitation to think more profoundly about the significance of the places where we find ourselves. In essence, these recordings are about giving ourselves up in search of places we may not yet have been. Ultimately, they are about facilitating a deeper response to the backgrounds against which we are always discovering and rediscovering ourselves as the beings we are. For who we are cannot solely be defined by the way we may think about ourselves. We do not exist in isolation, and so neither are we reducible to our landscape of origin. Rather, who we are is intricately intertwined with the landscapes where we originally encounter ourselves as the persons we are always in the process of becoming. In other words, our identity is irreducibly linked to the horizon of time through which we pass before being scattered again by the wind. The world that we respond to as artists is therefore an ecology of perception, the opening of both self and other. There is therefore no place upon the earth where we can hide from our pre-existing social relationships. The path into a landscape is not over the mountain or across the river, as we may assume, but through a committed and open-ended dialogue with the individual beings we encounter along the way. Only by listening to and honouring the different perspectives of one another, with an attitude of openness, dignity and respect, do we allow the historical identity of the visible world to continue to rise from its depths. It is according to this philosophy of collaboration, dialogue and friendship that I journey thousands of miles across the North Atlantic Ocean in this episode to join the site-specific musicians and installation artists Leander Knust and A.P. Bergeron. Leander and A.P. may not be photographers, but they are very good friends whom I was blessed to meet during an artist residency in Svalbard. For the last two weeks, they have been collaborating together at another residency aboard a 19th century lighthouse off the east coast of Long Island. Together, we ponder many questions. Where and how do artistic projects begin? How can technology mediate our connection to the natural world? What are the ways by which artists represent the relationship between themselves and their environment? If you happen to find value in this conversation and would like to help me nurture this community of perspectives and voices, please consider supporting the podcast on Patreon via the link in the description. So, without further ado, my conversation with Leander Knust and A.P. Bergeron now begins. Leander Knust, A.P. Bergeron, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to speak with me. Where are you at the moment? Uh, we're in a lighthouse, man. 
We're in a lighthouse off the coast of uh, northern Long Island in Connecticut, close to Plum Island. And it's great to be here, man. It's an honor to meet the man behind the land behind again. Yeah, man, it's really nice to meet the man behind the land behind. Well, it's, a, it's an honor to be there in spirit with you. And I wish I was there physically with you. But hence why we, we have you on the podcast. To yeah. convey a message that I wish I could tell myself. But, um, <laughs> yeah, why, why don't, why don't, I'm going to put the burden on you. Why don't we explain, why don't you explain for our audience how we all met and how you two know each other and how we all, th- all three of us know each other? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, uh, we all took the same flight to Spalbar to do a residency out there. And we met probably before we met by picking each other out of the crowd on the plane of all the kinds of folk that go out to Svalbard. Mm-hmm. And I think AP and I both remember you as being the guy in the dark green fleece with the bucket hat who didn't quite look like he was going to Svalbard for any other reason than probably an artist residency. And then later that day, I was walking up from the grocery store towards the hotel we were supposed to all check in and meet all the other artists at. And you just showed up next to me and were like, so you're doing that artist residency, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember watching, I, I remember like patiently standing in the queue, only a few individuals behind you, wondering about that banjo on the back of your, your rucksack. Yeah, yeah, I think that's how you spotted me, right? Yeah. It's a real, real Jack Kerouac, meandering rambler. That's exactly what you said to me. You said you're a real rambling type, aren't you? A real Jack Kerouac. Before you even told me your name, you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that, yeah. Love to see it. Love to see it. But how did you, what what was the moment that you and AP met? Can you remember that? I remember a moment of being when we were checked into the coal miners' cabins. And Leander walked past the door and I was kind of like huddled in my little room organizing my affairs. And he walked past the door and he looked so curious and he stared me in the eye. And he, and he was like, I could see that there was already a collaboration for me. Like, yeah. No, seriously, though. No, I, uh, yeah, he was just walking past I and mean, he seemed like an amicable guy, you know, but like I was worried, um, you know, that I wouldn't have any cool people to hang out with in the residency, but. Turns out I was wrong because we met Peter Holiday shortly thereafter. That's right. <laughs> and you had, um, fortunately, you didn't just have me to hang out with, but you had approximately 49 other individuals to hang out with. Yeah, we were trapped together, literally trapped sailing the Arctic Ocean for two weeks or whatever. Right? That's right. That's right. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. Pretty good times. Pretty what, good times. What, are yeah, vivid, what are your vivid memories from that trip? What do you remember the... The most, what what events stand out to you as you reflect on it in this moment? That's a good question. I mean, I guess I would answer that question in two parts, you know. It was like, obviously, I mean, here we are, the two of us at this other residency, thanks to the collaboration that we ignited in the Arctic. So it's impossible not to, to like, uh, to honor the, the weight of, like, us meeting and performing together and recording all of this audio and video um, that uh, essentially enabled us to be here. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a million memories of like, uh, you know, like you uh, coming out 
preparing your presentation and introducing yourself as a poet and kind of like burping a bit and giving them one of the best, most profound photo uh, presentations I've ever seen. And then us proceeding to like get drunk on the best beer I can't remember the name of at the best floating bar in the Arctic just above the stairs, you know? Oh, that is the yeah working nights with oh you're, you're so taking me back <laughs> yeah man oh dude dude you had like i can taste it you all. had the nicest hat on the boat dude yeah sorry yeah you had the nicest hat on the boat remember yeah everyone loved your hat dude the mac demarco <laughs> yeah yeah mackie d so that that bar <laughs> must have been the that, dude, but... <laughs> that bar must have been the most northerly northerly bar in the planet at one point, at least. I think the most northerly bar on the planet must be that one we went to in Pyramid and had that weird, like, this is where you could have a UN summit or, like, a high-end brothel, like, mm-hmm. party. <laughs> yeah. It works. It works for both. That's... It's a dynamic, it it's a a dynamic space. space for sure. Yeah, right. But, yeah. Yeah. I remember... I remember that evening as well. Anyway, you're now at, at another residency in Long Island, Connecticut. What's the time there at the moment? Uh, it's probably about three p.m. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost ten ten p.m. here in Helsinki. That's what, nice, man. What have you been doing? What have you been doing there? <laughs> well. I think we've kind of, you know, just been uh, setting up a lot of microphones, a lot of speakers throughout the lighthouse space. It's this incredible, like, multi-tiered iron chamber that is just, like, very incredibly conducive to doing strange, experimental, atmospheric soundscape type stuff. So we really just kind of leaned into what the space is presenting in terms of like sonic possibilities we're just really like leaning into that in a big way and kind of like using the space is very much like a site specific kind of you know like almost like an audio installation sculpture ongoing we've collected probably like close to like 60 hours of material so far we've only, we've been here for this is our 11th day yeah it's day 11 yeah. But we've also just been inhabiting this old lighthouse, you know? I mean, this thing was built in uh, 1899. It's on a lean. It's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Like, they they produced it, like, off-site in some giant cast-iron facility. And then they, like, plopped it on these rocks that they, like, scraped off the seabed to create this tiny artificial island. They plopped it and immediately developed, like, a 10-degree lean that we constantly feel... <laughs> It's over 100 years old. It's like 130-something years old. It's got no infrastructure in it, uh, except for, like, added, you know, solar panels and a little windmill for electricity. But Yeah, man, we're running off solar wind power pretty much exclusively. Yeah, there's no running water. Uh, it's very, very, very rustic. Uh, and so whenever we're not playing music, we're pretty much just, you know, mulling about living the life of a bizarre lighthouse keeper, I guess. Yeah, we're kind of like fulfilling some perfunctory lighthouse keeper role despite living in an age of automation in terms of, you know, many things, but this lighthouse as well is all automated. Yeah. Uh, But we did, in an interesting turn, find a a way to activate the foghorn. 
yeah here at the lighthouse <laughs> yeah which to be honest was a little bit disappointing you know because we <laughs> before coming to the lighthouse we were all like the motifs that were in our minds were very like you know that movie that came out the lighthouse with willem and and uh robert and Pat. robert our paths our patty and uh and then also like annihilation and like that lighthouse and like the light from both of those movies and the sound of the foghorns we figured out, you know, like we looked online and we like researched and it turns out that all of these old lighthouses on the Northeast, you can activate via um, like shortwave radio that you use to access the Coast Guard mm-hmm. by like dialing in a specific channel and clicking the like call button a couple of times. And it activates the foghorn. It activates the foghorn. For like half an hour or so. Right. But it's a fucking funny foghorn. Like it sounds... Yeah, it's kind of pathetic. It's kind of pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it's kind of been like, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, neutered or something. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, that's the interview <laughs> over. You've answered all the questions. Oh, wow. Well, video and talk with the man behind the land behind. That, um, <laughs> you, you, you explained that you're... Um, your project is a, a series of sight responsive sight responsive improvisations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what what was the genesis behind this project? Take us back to the frigid Arctic landscape of its origin. Sure. Well, uh, as AP mentioned, you know, when I was getting settled into the coal miner's cabin before we all got on board the tall ship Antigua and started sailing around Svalbard together, he was intrigued by my panjo. I, meanwhile, had no idea that AP was a musician, what he did that brought him to the to the residency. All he had was like a little Jansport backpack and the same wool sweater he wore for the next two weeks. You know, it was very hard to tell just exactly what sort of artist AP was is you know <laughs> but then like a couple of days into our residency after we had already developed a rapport you know because it was a very very uh the residency embodied a really wonderful spectrum of of age and like career position in the arts of in all these varieties you know and and you know this peter it was like you ap and i that were like the three 30 year old dudes like we were that we were it so the we three kinda, musketeers the three buccaneers yeah, <laughs> so we had already developed like a beer rapport or whatever <laughs> and then next thing i know we make our first landing where we park the antigua in a bay and take the zodiacs in and you know start looking around at rocks and the landscape painters are painting the glaciers and the sound people are throwing their microphones into the sea and whatever and and uh, <laughs> AP is like, hey, can I borrow the banjo? And I'm like, yeah, man, totally. And then, you know, I just heard him out there singing like a like a little like a siren. And I was like, oh my god! And I, I was busy fly fishing, uh, <laughs> you know, so I didn't approach immediately. But yeah, that was the glacier. This is the... the other artists just found ourselves drawn to AP's voice and. And then it occurred to me that he and I should play some music together. And then we did multiple times, as you know. And uh, because the residency in the Arctic also had all of these incredible photographers and filmmakers and, and sound people, we were able to get some of the best documentation either of us have ever achieved in our, like, you know, short but extensive early 20 careers as artists and musicians. 
So it kind of just became like a natural, uh, I don't know, like it was obvious. We had this wonderful content. We were like, holy shit, like all we've done is improvise together. We haven't written any songs or anything, but our improvisations have gone off well. They've inspired us and they've inspired the people that have listened to them. We've got great documentation of them. It only seems natural to send them around and try to like do more. And we know that part of the majesty of what we were able to accomplish in the Arctic had to do with location, right? Like our first jam was inside that little trapper's cabin that actually you and your interest in taking pictures of these old trapper's cabins steered us towards. So thanks, Peter. Villa, Villa Oxford, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. Villa Oxford. I was there. Yeah, you were. We wouldn't have gone if it wasn't for you. You were like, let's take pictures of abandoned human stuff. I've got to see infrastructure out here. Let's go. And, you know, as you remember, the guides of the Antigua were incredible. They were like, whatever you guys want to do, we'll steer the whole boat in that direction to do it. So uh, thanks to you, we had our first jam in a, in a trapper's cabin. And we're like, oh, smokes, there's something to this, you know. It's the only yeah, moment in my life when I, when I wished I was more musical. I want, well, I, want, Peter, I, want, I, want I want to be a producer rather than a consumer, you know? <laughs> Sorry, say that again? We've been trying to get you to talk over our playing for a while now. you got quite the, yeah. quite the melodic voice, Peter. Well, I'm, I'm available voice. to do any spoken word work oh, that you good. want. I'm All really right. glad to hear you say that, man. Whip out some of those poems. We know you're good at it. Yeah, man. I remember one of the... Um, one of the performances took place at the Texas bar. That's right. Yeah. Correct. I remember, I remember that well. And I remember AP's face as he stepped out of the cabin and explained that he'd just taken a shot of whatever alcohol he found in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, what, 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 what did you tell us about that experience, AP? Oh man, so yeah, another Trapper's Cabin, uh, Texas bar, as it's affectionately known, and officially known, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we, we went in there, and we, we were planning to set up a bit of a, you know, an impromptu concert, one night only, and this was only the second time that Leander and I had ever performed music together. I uh, went into the cabin, and there was just a whole variety of alcohols of various ages, vintages, one might say. Uh, I remember taking a swig of a, a ancient seeming Jim Beam. Had some interesting residue collecting on the. <laughs> yeah, that that was next to the adult magazines. Yes, correct. Yes. They, yeah. Were there actually adult magazines in Texas Bar? There, there were, yeah. There were, there were like mid, there were mid 20th century yeah. pinups. Mid century modern. Pornography. Yeah, and then there were hunting magazines <laughs> that were about ten years out of date, and 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 various adult magazines as well. Oh man, I mean, what what else would you expect at the Texas Bar, Peter? That's what you remember from our concert at Texas Bar. I just remember the sp- <laughs> I, I, I took a I took a photograph of that interior. I thought it was right. a very interesting interior. It was. Um, <laughs> yeah. What what did what did what inspired you about the about Texas Bar. It was also, I mean, we'd, we'd also just seen a polar bear the earlier in the day. I mean, that, that was also the day after we played at Villa Oxford. Like, I'll never forget, we were, we were listening back to the recordings that we took from Villa Oxford 
And Sarah, the lead uh, guide of the residency, uh, was listening in. And AP and I were both kind of having this moment of like, oh, shit, this is actually like really quite good. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sarah was like, hey, guys, this is actually really quite good. And we were like, yeah. And then she was like, you should do a concert tomorrow when we go to Texas Bar. Parties always happen at Texas Bar. And we were like, okay, you know. And then, uh, yeah, the next day we just ended up, it was this whole to do and everyone got off the boat and there was all this stuff and they brought out beers and, and, uh, and we were especially kind of, uh, both nervous, but also reverent of the, of the meaning of it. Because as you say, we had just, just before spent some time visiting with a polar bear on an Island close by that Marius, the sort of the lead lookout guide, the guy with the, the centurion up on the hill. You know, yeah, the century, yeah. <laughs> Marius was up on the hill while we were doing that concert, keeping a careful eye on that polar bear and observing it. And, you know, in the footage we got, we included Marius's footage of the polar bear from up on the hill as the polar bear kind of like woke up and walked to the edge of the island in a direction that AP and I were sirening out from the bay. Uh, yeah, it was pretty special, man. It was pretty unreal. Um, there was a very intense palpable energy charged by seeing the polar bear, but just the landscape in general. And yeah. it's kind of like feeling, I think it was one of the few true like social outings of the residency, you know, right. it became like this event where right. we traveled from the Antigua, the ship itself, Zodiac to the shore for this concert, very impromptu. But yeah, this is like the energy is, is, and that's what's so beautiful about the improvisational approach to music is that, you know, you're just kind of responding to the situation and uh, trying to like feed that emotional response through what you're doing. And, you know, it's, that's where the best shit happens. I, I really believe that. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Like AP was like, I was like, how do we amplify this? And we just like Jerry rigged one of the uh, like the second mate's uh, arms, a uh, Bluetooth speaker. And we put it on the roof of the cabin in such a way that it didn't get feedback from the mics at the base of the cabin we were playing. And now that's kind of become a quintessential uh, quality of our sound. I don't know, man. It's kind of funny. Like, it was very improvised and it worked out, you know? I remember that um, JBL speaker that was being torn to shreds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It couldn't couldn't quite handle it, but I I remember that. It became part of the thing, though. Like, it was breaking up and distorting and, like, you know, and then uh, that became part of our aesthetic. Raggedy, raggedy sound, for sure. That's right. Still is. Yeah. So how have you brought those beginnings into the Orient Point Lighthouse? I don't know. I think that's, like, that jumping off point, especially Texas Bar and the concerts that followed in Pyramid and the abandoned Soviet mining town. We have played in the Cultural Center, and we used Bluetooth speakers there as well. So then we try to take that concept. We have three Bluetooth speakers here with us to, uh, in this residency and been using it to like as amplification within the space, which is totally new for me as a musician and using it in that way. Is, it's very flexible and impromptu. It doesn't require you know, external power, so you can move it around. Yeah, it's been it's added this whole new component. So I think, yeah, we're, this is definitely like a, a continuation of what we were doing in the Arctic. It's just uh, a little more refined. No. Yeah. Also, the vibe is so nat- like a natural continuation. I mean, we went from being on a tall ship in the Arctic to a lighthouse. You know, they're they're about the same age. If anything, the lighthouse is a little bit older than the Antigua. 
they have similar kind of bizarre acoustic properties because of the curvature of their walls, because everything is essentially steel or cast iron. Mm. You know, and like AP said, we've got a bunch of mics, we've got three speakers, and we set them up on different floors while we're playing because every floor is separated by a cast iron roof slash floor, you know? So they're really isolated from one each other, but they all echo each other. Yeah. So we're able to get these really interesting reverb and echo effects without any of the feedback that you might get if there weren't these cast iron barriers between mic and speaker. Mm -hmm. um, it's been really cool. Uh, AP is really the tech. And so I'm really stoked to see kind of what his audio magic brain does with the 60 plus hours of recording we have. Um, it's going to be a journey. It's going to, so yeah. It's, it's a totally different location but it's the same ocean, the same body of water. In principle, mm -hmm. you can follow that body of water to Svalbard if you, if you had the resources to do so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You could. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting way of viewing it. You know, we're kind of in the same type of space. It's just we're reoriented. Now we're stationary, very stationary. We're like landlocked here, man. Like, we're no leaving. We're here for 16 days. Totally isolated, except for chatting with you, of course. Right. Got here uh, last Saturday. This is day eleven. Is that right? Correct. We've got five more days. We're going to leave on Monday, which is Memorial Day here in the states. And then we uh, we zip straight to New York City to do a concert, um, all stinky and whatever from two weeks of no running water. But yeah, sixteen days, man. And how did you get there? Oh man, it's the whole thing. Um, <laughs> it's really great, actually. We're another one of the reasons we're really lucky to be at this residency is because it's not. It's a it's a kind of a nuanced residency, like in the entire spectrum of art residencies out there, which I'm I know you're aware of, but just for the sake of the audience, like they can be literally anything, right? The, the only defining factor of an artist residency is that it's time to do something in a place that you go to. Otherwise, like it could be anything at all. Mm. Um, but this one is like owned by an artist, uh, who's done a lot all over the country and is international and is, but he hasn't really like set up a foundation for this residency. It's pretty word of mouth. Um, and I had known about it because I had like read about this lighthouse and the way that it was, um, retrofitted to be an artist residency in a design magazine, like a couple of years ago. And then the wonderful artist, uh, Tyler Morgan, who was on the Antigua with us in the Arctic Circle residency, he had talked about how he had just spent time here when we were in the Arctic together. And I was like, no kidding. I was like, I've always wanted to go there. And then after AP and I kind of became the musical mascots of our Arctic journey, Tyler was like, the project the two of you are embarking on would be perfect for that lighthouse. Let me put you in touch with the artist who owns the place. And so then over a couple of months of... Um, sort of communications back and forth with this artist, Randy Palumbo, who owns the place. We kind of got the okay, we signed some paperwork and we were told to show up at the Northern tip of Long Island at like nine o'clock in the morning on the day we were supposed to arrive here. 
we showed up in my car. We were told to park it in some spot in the grass, and we loaded a bunch of stuff, bunch of instruments, bunch of food, whatever, into this yeah. guy Captain Bob's boat. And then Captain Bob took us out here, told us a couple of stories about other artists who have been out here, and then said, "Okay, see you later." And that was the last contact we've had. Yeah. And he told you. AP told me the story about how he told you that the current will rip you to shreds if you're not careful. <laughs> Dude, it's yeah, real, man. It's, it's like, insane. It's very intense. I uh, I almost brought an inflatable paddleboard to like go out and explore, but I decided that the uh, the notion of containment, of being like really, really stuck on this little pile of rocks and this big old metal tube was pretty interesting and I didn't bring it. And it turns out I wouldn't have been able to use that fucker anyway. I mean, like, the currents rip back and forth through here so hard. Like it feels like we're always moving. Like you remember how quickly the water would lap on the sides of the Antigua while we were cruising along to the next destination. Yeah, yeah. It's like that speed all the time, but all current is crazy. Yeah. It's a confluence of crazy currents going in seemingly impossible counter directions at all times flowing yeah. all around the lighthouse uh yeah it's really a bit of a palpable energy man it's very strong current and like kind of channeling through this crazy yep. really high winds like lots of life we're surrounded by this reef and there's like birds catching fish and fishermen catching fish and night herons and cranes and pigeons roosting in the rocks below and seagulls all over the place and it's it's funny because we're in the middle of this throughway, like the ferry that connects Long Island and Connecticut passes by maybe every half an hour and all these fishermen are doing their thing. But the distance of the boats is just, it's, it's too far to be able to see anybody, mm. but close enough that you might be able to see their silhouette. Yeah. It's very funny. It's a distance, like an inconsistent distance between but you you feel them and they're there they're just close enough but it's like just beyond the point of being able to recognize and connect with anyone so a feeling of busyness a lot of traffic on the waters around us and a lot of intense current but we feel like we're just floating along it kind of feels outside of time and place man like a panoramic window that doesn't actually exist in the real world it's very bizarre yeah quite something man and the body of water is known as Plum Gut, the stretch of water. Yeah, correct. Tell us about Plum Island on the other side of, of the sound. Why, why is that island famous? Why indeed? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something we've just kind of started learning about since being here, but there are some interesting, you know, talks, discussions, theories uh, surrounding some interesting historical aspects happening there. There's a, a military research facility there where there's a lot of uh, animal testing and stuff throughout the years. I'm not sure of all the details, but I do know there's a very fascinating conspiracy theory surrounding the creation of Lyme disease because we're very close to Lyme, Connecticut here. There's a theory floating around that <laughs> Lyme disease go. was actually created in a laboratory on Plum Island and then dispersed into Connecticut. And as someone who has Lyme disease, it's very fascinating, strange coincidence to me that I'm like potentially just right across the water from the epicenter of my own suffering. I didn't yeah, know Peter, that. Do you remember like drinking in the Antigua at night and listening to AP's stories about 
his perpetual draw to the woods ever since no. he got Lyme disease from a tip? I was uh, too busy um, admiring red hats, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember that, no. But uh, um, It's a thing, man. It's a theme in AP's work, yeah. in his genesis. And so he had no idea that we were this close to this... Uh, conspiracy wrapped island of intrigue and animal testing and Lyme disease, but here we are. We can see it. I'm looking at it right now. And man, Palm we, Island's literally right there. Sometimes at night there's strange lights. Yeah, that come on the island. It's very bizarre. It's bizarre. And we were told by the by the boat captain who dropped us off here that if uh we had an emergency and we couldn't get a hold of anybody, our best bet was to swim over to Plum Island because the military would pick us up off the beach within a couple of minutes. <laughs> Really? So it's absolutely yeah. no absolute. Well, clearly no access. No, no access. No but access. there's a lot of infrastructure over there. You know, they got one of those big like um, tanks full of water that they put up on steel pylons way above the tree line to create plumbing for for like a town of infrastructure. They've got their own lighthouse over there. Yeah, you know, I saw that on the map during yeah, my extensive happening. research before this conversation. Which is yeah, actually what you one know of, about Plum Island, man. Uh, yeah, I read. Well, I read that they have a lot of uh, animal vaccine stock there, and it's also where they develop and test animal vaccines. Right. But I didn't read right. anything about John F. Kennedy or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> so. You gotta read between the lines, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like, you've been you've been there for over a week now and you've been making work responding to to this place that's right well, what kind of epiphanies have you had have you had any moments of of enlightenment yeah i mean i don't know i feel like it's been a kind of a very interesting new pace of life that has introduced a way of being and existing that feels like it's kind of, I don't know, based on like the limited amenities here and running water, I feel like we're kind of embodying, I'm not, you know, a, a, a bygone way of life, like the lighthouse keepers of old. Um, and that way of living alone, I think for me has created just, yeah, this is, well, a lot of epiphanies just regarding like how we occupy our time, how concerned we are with, you know, like, such you know insignificant details of life and the pace of life the hustle that you know takes us away from just you know being in the moment and i think i got really been able to kind of separate myself from the rest of the world and the normal concerns of everyday life while being here and it makes me wonder you know like is this just the way that people were you know in the past before we came our minds became so crowded became you know, so, you know, tied into this network of, you know, in, a constant communication and instant information, you know, like, mm. I feel, yeah, it's a really is a moment of retreat and uh, everything that comes with that uh, artistically, emotionally, intellectually. Yeah, it's just, it's powerful stuff. I don't know if I can pin down a particular feeling or, or instance, but it's just a general kind of moment of feeling of like, it's a know, joy to something. be there. Absolutely. Yeah, but it's also it's deeply like bizarre. That. It's like uh, it's a it's a rare privilege and a rare um, I don't know. It's a rare experience that I think was even rarer when it embodied an entire life. 
exist in this era when automation has made these ancient lighthouses kind of obsolete to the degree that they've been auctioned off for private ownership. Mm-hmm. And then like, uh, you know, a well-hearted uh, artist is like, oh, I, I see potential in that. Like that's an inspiring place. And then kind of like sets up this opportunity for weirdos like AP and I to just come out here and, you know, we exist outside of reality for a couple of weeks while also kind of living within this sort of uh, bygone context. It's I've had a lot of musical epiphanies. I mean, AP and I have come up with some really incredible stuff here that I could never have predicted. I mean, for whatever reason, I didn't really consider just how unique the lighthouse would sound. But yeah, it's not something you could ever anticipate. Oh my God. Like we have some concerts in New York after this experience where we're going to go and like play reflections of our time here like loosely structured improvisations that kind of denote to what we've been doing in the lighthouse. But man, it is going to be impossible to replicate the sorts of sounds that we've been able to come up with in here. Mm -hmm. Simply impossible. And then as you know, like, I feel like when you do an artist residency, the epiphanies tend to come after, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like, I don't know, Peter, like we've been in touch for the about a year now since we met on the Antigua our lives have changed a lot. Like artist residencies, I feel like are all about just completely, I don't know, readjusting your expectations of what being an artist is supposed to be in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think that, it, you know, yeah. And I, I think that that's happened here for AP and I again, like we've, this place feels very adjacent to a lot of like kind of, commonplace ambition trajectories that a lot of artists experience it's i think it's helping us get more in touch with sort of why we're the style of weirdo we are in the first place Mm -hmm. and it feels like deeply rewarding and celebratory to have the opportunity to just indulge in how fucking weird we are (laughs) and have it be supported in this way i mean it's there's a lot of people who would hate to be here pete you know it's a lot i can imagine it's not ap and i we're we're like on cloud nine we're made for this man yeah we spent like the first i swear the first five days or so was just us like one like in wonder yeah to this context that we're in you couldn't even process the situation it was so yeah just such a dream to be here how quickly did that wear off oh it hasn't i mean we fully moved in. Like we have a, a living system that is deeply comfortable now. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. And it would be really quite easy to stay here for a very long period of time. Like in, in a way we have like a routine, we understand things. There's less constant astonishment. Like we can both navigate the lighthouse pretty much in total darkness and get around no problem, you know? Yeah. But, uh, the novelty has not worn off Pete. And it's hard to imagine it ever will. I mean, we we continue to exclaim at random intervals from various floors of the lighthouse just how how wonderful it is to be here and how flipping insane it is that this opportunity exists at all. Yeah, it doesn't seem <laughs> like it should be possible. No, like it's that's. I think that was part of the astonishment and that wonder I described at the beginning was like, how is someone letting us do this? Like right. it's like you're given the keys to the kingdom, but like it's a strange and very isolated specific kingdom. Yeah, but it's entirely ours, you know. This feeling of like we've been given this this place, and it's a gift. It's such a gift, man. It's really 
Yeah, but uh, as yeah, as Leander said, not for everyone. You have to be a specific type, I think. Yeah. You mentioned the experience of. Sorry, go ahead. Do you think uh, you'd enjoy being here in the lighthouse, Peter? It would probably be a similar experience to what it was like in the Antigua. It would. It would. The thought of it sounds very exciting. But getting used to that situation would probably, for me, take a couple of days. It feels like like yeah. it. There's a seriousness to it. There's 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 this. It feels from from my perspective here in Helsinki, watching you over Zoom. There's there's an earnestness to to what you're to what you're up to, and as as you said, not many people. There are there are plenty of people that would hate to be there. And the yeah. I, the idea of it sounds astonishing, as you as you said. But um, and I'm sure it is, and I'm 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 sad that I'm not there with you. But yeah, I think I think it's one of these places that would take that takes maybe a cup, two or three days to get used to, because there is yeah. you can see the distance. You can well, you can see the mainland where you're, you know, Long Island. And the mainland to the yeah. north as well, I presume. And it's almost like that sense of being able to see what AP refers to as Planet America, being able to see, <laughs> being able to see the greater body of Planet America. I, I can imagine that that uh, makes makes the distance seem even further. And yeah. it's also, as you describe, it's also a dangerous place where if you're not careful and if you fool around, the currents will take you far out to sea. Yes. Yep. And it's, so, yeah, it seems, it, there, yeah, you have to, it's a, it seems like a place that you have to respect, just as we had to respect Svalbard during the Antigua um, expedition. Right. right. Absolutely, man. Yeah, there's a lot of... I don't know. I think that was part of the like our, our system and our process of acclimation to this strange new space was like starting to realize what is required of us to live here and what we have to set aside from our lives to like properly embody this space that does feel like it's it's lost in time to another time that's no longer really relevant. And yeah, I don't know what that's you know what's the difference is to me that I just thought about because of what you said, Peter. You know, I mean, we're on a, we're on your podcast called The Land Behind, right? And like, uh, and when we were on the Antigua together, the land behind our experience was we were in kind of a luxurious experience. We were in a modern experience where we got to look at this vast landscape behind us that was, you know, almost entirely uninhabitable and and uh, of a bygone, you know, history, not not even human history, but in a lot of cases, human history, because of the locations we visited, thanks to your interests. But, but here, it's the reverse, like here, the land behind the lighthouse, like Long Island that we can see in this military complex, we can see in Connecticut way off in the distance, we can see the modern world. It's like, it's all around us. Like yesterday, a military plane flew over the lighthouse, like really low, like these ferries go by constantly. These fishermen are always around. We're able to like, use our binoculars to see the names of the vessels they're fishing out of. And it's all very modern all around us. You know, it's not like Svalbard where it's ancient and, and totally out of human scale time. Mm -hmm. But the difference is here, 
we're in the location that's the junt. We're in the location that's on its own sense of time. That's not part of the modern world. Like we're, it's reversed. We can see modernity all around us, but we are not participating in it. It's like a Although strange. You're, sp- you're speaking to me right now on 3G or Wi-Fi. Right. Yeah. Sure. I mean, good point. You know, there's, but it's, uh, but the living experience of being here and ignoring the tech, which is something we've gotten quite good at, except for when we have to turn on all of our mics and speakers. It's interesting, man. It's a reverse. How how do we you think very easily not exist here? <laughs> but how do you think this um, question? How do you think the way that you use your musical technology helps to mediate your relationship with this space at Orient Point Lighthouse? That's a great question, man. It's a great question. Yeah. It's uh, and it's yeah, it's something that we've been thinking about and discussing because there is this inherent quality to being here that was immediately recognizable, especially as musicians, I think, when we came in here, we're just like hearing one another, even just walk up and down the many flights of stairs, you know, in this tower we live in. And the sound is just incredible, man. And the sound of the ocean and boats going by, seabirds, like there's just like in a nonstop soundscape that is, it's so soothing. And it really, it like kind of like, you know, we're definitely inhabiting, you know, a natural space that's just, you know, like it's a little island within a very natural space. And but the sound of the tower itself, of the lighthouse, is so specific that we've kind of like leaned into it so far that everything we do technologically with our speakers and microphones is really just like an attempt to kind of emphasize that initial excitement at the sonic, the specific sonic landscape that exists in this place. It's so... Yeah, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced, man. It's like you can like sing through this this building, man. It like resonates. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's crazy, Pete. And like, it's also just like an earnest extension of the entire Bankline project. I mean, we mm-hmm. AP and I met in the response of environments that provoked total and utter awe, and that also had like really specific, rare, nuanced acoustic qualities. Mm-hmm. So it just became like obvious to sort of take that notion to the extreme and come here and challenge it in this lighthouse like yeah there's i can't imagine a more unique place to play but we've already been scheming up other unique places to play Mm -hmm. um the response to the space is what it's all about man what it's all about we know as uh, artists that there's this romantic notion within our respective disciplines that technology is what divides us from nature but do you think that in the context of of what you're doing at orient point that technology can in fact bring you closer to nature i think so man i think i don't know i mean in my own personal pursuits of uh, audio uh, and you know, all my, my artistic work, it's, it's always, just always kind of like a tie into the natural world. And when you put on he- good headphones with a field recorder and stand in nature, you are brought closer to nature. In my opinion, it's like an instant meditative state of like being in a space that may not have that much of a, uh, like 
an obvious sonic signature. But when you amplify that sound through technology, you're further immersed and you're for, they're more sensitive to the space and and your place within it. Our place of as humans is often one of kind of brash and intense, you know, presence that kind of tends to supersede the natural environment and tends to like you know kind of like disregard the natural world and it's it's a presence that i've come to notice in myself of like disruption a lot of the time i walk into a grove into a, a field and birds scatter animals leave because they're frightened they're frightened by my presence it's like and not not an entity that's really overly aware of their surroundings because we don't have to be but i think you know my pursuits in audio i think video as well too you know it's just like allows you to kind of like take like a, a closer look maybe connect a little further take a moment of quietude don't be so wrapped up in your own nonsense live in the moment have this experience in the natural beauty of the moment and that's like yeah, I don't know. It's essential to me. And it's something we've carried forward here, I think, in a mm. big way. Mm. A lot of listening, a lot of just being in a space rather than always having to impose our own sense of whatever we think is important in the moment onto that instance, you know? Yeah. But is there a moment when technology can become a, a distraction as well? Of course, man. Absolutely. That's the danger. And that's. I think that's what we grapple with, you know, and, and like as artists and technicians and, you know, we rely on, you know, whatever our tools are to do what we do. And that's part of our, our practice. But, you know, it's like you can't let the tools be entirely definitive of what it is you do, because really fully, you know, it's what you're in. It's an expression of you as an individual, as an artist. And the tools are just a way of potentially amplifying, extending that, that in a, yeah. I don't know. That's how I feel about it. But yes, technology. I feel like we've kind of been struggling, or especially initially, we were like, how do we how do we integrate ourselves into the culture of this space in terms of how, how can I really be emailing people right now? And when I'm in this space, I feel like there's a tension there. You know, you don't we don't really seem to exist within the paradigm of that. It's very strange. Yeah, it's it's an uncanny feeling of like we don't really. We don't seem to belong in the real world anymore, you know? It's just like we're floating. We're really floating out there. So, yeah, it's hard. It's been hard to kind of, you know, disconnect fully. But I think I'm, you know, but here now in week two, I think I'm really starting to lean into it, you know? Feel yeah. like. And if we're successful, then all of the all of the stuff that we're recording, thanks to technology, um, and that will be shared thanks to technology, will sort of transmute, you know, some fraction of our experience into the ears of whoever decides to listen to our project i mean the the cool thing about tech is that it's you know allowed us to share everything the hard thing about tech is that it's sort of become more real than reality when reality is exclusive tech is not so you know we're very lucky to be here and we want to and you know it'd be very easy to indulge in turning all the microphones off and turning off our phones and just like essentially having a proper vacation and making some of the best music of our lives, but recording none of it because frankly, that's simpler, but you know, if we're lucky technology will allow us to share what we're doing here everywhere else. Well, I feel the same way about the camera that yeah. the moment that photography 
creates a wall between your experience and, and your wider environment. That's the moment that photography has failed, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you reconcile that, Pete, when you're out in, in such a beautiful landscape and you're looking through the viewfinder, trying to capture whatever it is you're seeing? Do you think do you feel like you're you're really capturing an extension of the actual world, or is it like your own frame, your own way of being? How do you how do you reconcile the two? You know, the landscape and your depiction of it. Through photography? It's not it's not it's not a depiction necessarily of my way of being. But it's a response to to the relationship that I share with my wider environment, I feel. Right, right. Do you see the limitations of your medium as, like, as a limitation? Or is that part of its, kind of its beauty? Like, how do you, how do you, like, because photography is so specific, you know, and so beautiful in its simplicity, and it's, like, it is just a capturing of a single instance. Do you feel like that, you know, is is well, that like an appropriate way to interact with the world? There are so many ways to make images and mm-hmm. some way, ways of making images are more political than others. Mm-hmm. And there are photographers who believe in the joy of making images and then there are other Photographers who tend to, who enjoy, who enjoy compartmentalizing things. And I find myself somewhere in between. But as long as the photograph doesn't create walls between you and your subject matter, I think that, you know, that I, well, in the context of my practice, I'm onto something. But as soon as it begins to divide and create tension and complicate relationships, I feel a wee bit, yeah, that, that's not why I, why I do photography. So that's perhaps a moment when I begin to feel sad or level of discontentment at the medium. But on the whole, you know, I've dedicated... I've been photographing since I was a teenager and I've dedicated almost a decade of education, academic education to it. So, right. you know, uh, there's, there's, it's, 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 a, it's what they call a labor, labor of love, isn't it? That there are moments when it does become, you have to be aware of the complexities and especially when you're trying to tell a story based on cultural histories as well, as I like to do, as, you know, I'm a, if, if somebody wanted to pigeonhole me, they could describe me as a documentary photographer, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. In this podcast, many of the conversations on this podcast have, have been somewhat of an indirect attempt to identify what that means. But ultimately, yeah. we're here to have a, we have a, a, converse, a wider conversation about perception and place and I said to Robert Darch in the, the last episode that I, that I published that photography for me is exogamous, meaning it, it's, and that word means it's not married to its own tribe. 
So it, it, my, my way of looking is a way to see beyond myself, not just beyond myself, but perhaps beyond the tradition of photography into other disciplines of art. And that's obviously where you guys come in. Yeah, well, isn't that a beautiful thing that's happening across the art world right now? You know, like I studied sculpture. And uh, when I was an undergrad, they didn't give us sculpture studios. They gave us desk cubicles because during the era that the sculpture department was getting like refabbed in the 80s or in the 90s, uh, the trend in sculpture was to be a writer, you know? <laughs> I love... Uh, People like to, I don't know, artists I know have all kinds of feelings about the ways in which the borders between mediums are being sort of brought down in the arts right now. But I'm all for it, man. I mean, like, you know, I got into the and the Arctic Circle residency because of sculptural work, but I ended up making an album while I was out there. And here I am celebrating music. And, you know, I haven't uh, I haven't used any contemporary sculpture jargon in months. It feels fantastic. But Yet somehow it's still very easy to describe myself as a sculptor. It's no problem. I just say I'm making music at the moment and people are like, great. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the beauty of sculpture, especially, it's so malleable. It's very, very, very malleable. But you can, you can use any of the words for it. Like Peter could call himself a photographer and be like, this is my podcast project. And I don't think it would be very frustrating for anyone to like grapple with the notion that they're one and the same. You know, like, mm -hmm. yeah. I was thinking today, what is it that really motivates my work? And the camera is my tool. But what are my what are my motivations? And those motivations are philosophical, phenomenological, anthropological, historical questions about what it means to be in the world and the histories that make us who we are. Um, and this historical bond that we share with place. And then this question gets a little bit more complex when you consider my own path as a photographer who is as a Scottish born, but Helsinki based artist currently speaking. Mm -hmm. And so what does it mean to understand one's own situation in the world, in the world, in dialogue with horizons that are foreign to one's point of origin? That's a big question in my work. And, mm. and so I think this, yeah, the, the historical identity of, of place as a thing that we as human beings are concerned about is, 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 is one of the primary concerns of my work. Um, but this, the reasons you're such a good artist because you're, you're, you're beyond just the photographer, right? Like you have a, you have an ethos that extends to the core of your being that you employ photography to like, uh, I don't know, be an example of, but not to be an amalgamation or completion of. Mm. You know? well, I mean, my, my photographs are, if you, if you have a look at them, they're quite 
a traditional way of making images. They're the classical <laughs> way of, of image making. Right. With a, I take pictures on, for example, I use a, a camera called the Mamiya 7 for the most part. And, and that uses medium format film. And when I scan it, I try and scan it as I remember the scene looked to me or felt to me in that moment. And so mm. I, they're not, I'm responding to a landscape. I'm responding to a landscape more than anything. I'm, I'm not just doing this to create pictures. They're my, they're my environmentally situated response to a landscape in the same way that you are using sound to respond to the landscape of Svalbard or the surrounding seascape of Orient Point Lighthouse. Yeah. Yeah. I liked what you said earlier about how like dividing the space between you and the landscape, when that division takes place, it's not good enough for you. You know? No, it's, it's over. It's, o- yeah. it's, it's really over when that. that takes place. Cause like AP and I, you know, we could have like written a couple songs, come out here with a couple of drones and filmed a pretty sexy music video of us on this like isolated old lighthouse, but it'd be completely beside the point, right? Like mm -mm. we came here with zero understanding of what it was that we were actually going to accomplish because we didn't come here to conquer this place. You know, we came here to like honor it. Yeah. Yeah, To commemorate it. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's how I feel about, what I do going into spaces that are completely foreign to me to begin with. I go there to, to honor this encounter. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are spaces out there that need to be honored to maybe lack, you know, that level of like reverence from the way that, you know, the people interact with the natural world and their landscapes now we're so we are divided from it you know in, oh most, God, completely. In, in most cases we don't have any consideration of the natural world that we're living within you know because you know we created these structures that divide us from that truth but this lighthouse it's it's like it's you know it, it, it's open it's kind of like there's it's not a sealed environment it, nature is oozing into it because it's fallen into disrepair um, there's vines growing up, up the structure through the, through the base of the structure, the plants, you know, massive cracks in the foundation and water seeping in and out at all times. You know, it's, uh, when it was raining here the other night, it was dripping down through the structure being captured on the microphone. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. It's really, and, and everything that I think that I've found most enchanting and incredible about what we've been able to record here musically has somehow in, in, introduced those natural elements they've they they seep into the recordings and that's like really when the beautiful stuff happens because you can feel the sense of place it's just like yeah it's 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 devoid from most contemporary recording scenarios which are like totally yeah the space has been removed entirely yep that is the goal for a mm. lot of high fidelity recordings well yeah. is 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 like isolation of sound and there's kind of an irony here that we are in such an isolated situation but that isolation isn't one of a sonic isolation it's, it's like an a sonic openness where we like want to introduce all these potentially or what might be considered undesirable 
distractions from what's actually being happening. You know, the, the sound of the ocean is maybe, you know, one of the more essential players in the whole thing, you know. It's going to be impossible to listen to a bang clang track from the Lighthouse Residency without recognizing intrinsically that we're in a fucking lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's important. <laughs> <laughs> so how how much do you think that your work is is a dialogue with the surrounding solitude oh my god completely pete i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be solitude but the way that i'm hearing your question is how much do we think our work responds to like the uh the environment we put ourselves into and in this context that is solitude but in the context that we met, it was not, right? Um, but no, that. so like music is in this spot, at least from how I see it from a contemporary landscape where music is delivered to individuals via like algorithms that like pick up catchy shit and like serve it to you because they know you already like it. And uh, yeah, yeah. there's very little sort of, like AP was just talking about how the idealized music recording studio removes the space completely. And like, I don't know. The music that's being served for the populace these days is very, very extradited from the real world in a lot of ways, right? Like it, it celebrates a lot of facets of reality that people just frankly don't get to experience. And it also accomplishes a kind of sound that is impossible uh, to improvise, impossible to play in a space, impossible to like achieve acoustically or realistically in any context. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not just music that's doing this. Like, I was going to tease you earlier for being, like, a real photographer who has so many Instagram followers, you know? It's, like, that's got to be an interesting thing that you think about. But, like, I don't know. The the music that we're working on here is very, 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 very counter to that, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's devoid of market concerns. It's devoid of market concerns, but it's also, it's all about place. It's all about time. It's all about... um sort of the incapacity of repetition in the face of place and time the like the tenderness with which you have to like treat moments mm -hmm. it's not timeless our music you know it might be out of time but it's not timeless it's very 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 specific in its response to things just like a photograph you might take like i've seen you wait for a long time for the clouds to do just the right thing to cast the light in just the right way it's actually been kind of hilarious waiting with you to take a photograph during moments since Fallbird. It's you're, yeah, I remember you're incredibly impatient, but incredibly patient at the same time. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's like, you yeah. get it, man. Like you, in your photographs, you capture moments that are not um, products of, uh, you know, just empty space and time. Mm. And we're trying to do the same thing with our music project. And like being here in the lighthouse kind of intensely for two weeks and documenting it in the way that we are is, is exactly what that's all about. You think we're going to like release an album of, uh, of like, you know, Spotify hits you're off your rocker. It's impossible. It's completely counter to the entire point. Yeah. It's interesting how we're going to, I don't know. It's still a mystery to me how, we will compile all this work yeah. because it's so much of it. That's the first consideration, but also so like, yeah, it is a collection, a series of moments, all of which exist in their own right. And they all stand on their own as a moment that happens. And I'll, I'll listen through and 
I'll relive that moment. Yeah. And so emotional and so profound because I'm having such an incredible experience here. And, and I can already tell it's like one of the highlights of my, of my career. But at the same time, like how, how do we reconcile all of these moments into one entity, into one project? And that's something I'd, I'd be curious to hear your take on because as a photographer, how do you compile, like, how do you create a series of images? You know, like, it's like, what, what ties them together, you know? And like, that's mm -hmm. what I guess, you know, here we, we have, it's fortunate that it's all in one lighthouse. So that, you know, that's enough cohesion almost already, but you know, it's interesting to think of like where, you know, how, how could you place, you know, some kind of like title on so many disparate, intense moments, you know? They're all, they all seem valuable in their own right, you know? Yeah, these, I guess you're speaking to the inexhaustible possibilities of human experience and how they present themselves mm. and the context which in, the context within which they're connected and every context is, is, is the Every context is somewhat speaking to every other context that we find ourselves in. You know, yes. uh, you you came you came. To, sorry, what did you say? Uh, sorry, I was I interjected with a, a, a inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I did. I missed that. Uh, I said, "Company loves company." It's just like context leads to context. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's that essentially rounds rounds the logic up. But if, if you, no, I mean, if, if we put this into a into a specific context, then you your project in the lighthouse is an extension of of what began in this far north archipelago of Svalbard. Mm -hmm. Yep, it is, man, and that's so exciting. It was so exciting to us that because of our time in Svalbard on the Arctic Circle Residency, just a directly correlated connection to that through our, our friend Tyler, who hooked us up with this residency, basically, was just like, you know, it's, it just feels like such a natural and unforced continuation of yes. the same conceptual framework that was totally unplanned to begin with, but now we're, we were given the opportunity to really come out have a concerted effort with all of our potential resources at our disposal in this new situation. Yeah, it's just like Arctic Circle tenfold in terms of like what is possible sonically. And but uh, I mean that the Arctic Circle will always be like the essential like spark that like lit this project and created this you know drive we have to you know explore sound in this in strange spaces. You know, it's really in in like explore through music which is like yeah what is the ex man. what is the experience of of hearing sound within a cylindrical space compared to the spaces where you performed in svalbard such as villa oxford villa oxford as i remember you recorded that piece of music within the confines of the cabin itself so yeah how do how how do how how what 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 is the experience between hearing in a rectangular space compared to a cylindrical space? I mean, I guess I would say the, the wooden cabin makes kind of like a warm, muted, soft, cozy sound. 
but a cylindrical uh, cast iron and brick like tower. There's no warmth, man. It's sharp. It's fast. It's metallic. Metallic, echoic. It sounds. Um, I don't know. It sounds immediate. It sounds. It's very. It's hallucinogenic, man. To be in here. Yeah. And like you, you say one thing in one part of the room, and depending on which way you point your face, it sounds like it's coming from a completely different direction because the sound reverberates so effectively and efficiently in all directions. Like you can, the effects you're able to accomplish are are bizarre. Um, it's something. It's it, it's difficult for us to even place. Yeah. In terms of like where the sound, the source of the sound is coming from. And that, I think, an extension of that wonder at the strange acoustics of the space has resulted in our, our technical practice here, where we're, like, placing speakers and microphones in, like, you know, kind of seemingly random or, like, experimental new configurations in an attempt to kind of, like, trace what, like, the essence of this strange acoustic space is, because it's really... And that's the thing. This is just purely experimentation, what we're doing. You know, it's like fully experimental scenario. But I think as time goes on and the more we do it, it's becoming more and more refined. And we're, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like, it's totally unique in terms of a sonic environment. And it's, it's really impossible to describe without hearing it. The one thing I do find myself continuing to, to say to AP in astonishment is just how much it sounds like we're underwater. Yeah. Yeah. It sound it doesn't sound like the waves are below us. It sounds like they're above us. Mm -hmm. And the way in which the metallic um, surfaces of this place, the stairs, the walls, the floors, you know, the way in which they reverberate just it sounds like you're uh, like you've already drowned in here. it's it's really amazing. <laughs> I'm really gonna miss it a lot. Like I think what day eleven at this point, I think I'm so used to how it sounds in here that it's going to be strange to go back into empty space where there is no immediate and unsettling reverb everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So it's a, it's a continue, <laughs> what you're up to there is a continuous response to the environment, yeah. to, yeah. The, to the built environment of the space, but also the natural environment that surrounds it. Mm-hmm. Big time, man. I see. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead, AP. I was just saying, like, uh, there's been a, a pretty direct response to the wildlife here. We've, uh, we've named and, like, become quite well acquainted with some, uh, some bird populations. This a night heron who lives on our island. He's got a girlfriend, man. Yeah, we just found out he might, he seems, he's seemingly in the mating Or mode. he's got a boyfriend, or he's yeah, got a boyfriend. It's hard to he's say. Got a girlfriend. It's hard to say. I don't say what the gender is, but we call this night yeah. heron Dennis, and he's just like so present and so funny, and like, it's just kind of like, he's our roommate. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, I don't know. There's definitely like a comedic, <laughs> there's a comedic element to a lot of this stuff going on here. It's kind of silly. There's something inherently silly about being it's very funny, in this man. space, man. It's, it's very funny. Yeah. And like this artist owns this lighthouse and and like there's this whole little community of people that help the artist deliver other artists here. You know, like we were 
delivered here by a retired sea detective <laughs> named Captain Bob, who owns and operates rain, rainbow charters. And <laughs> one day I got contacted by a police officer on the mainland because apparently my car was parked in the wrong, in the wrong spot. And I had to contact Captain Bob and be like, I don't know what you want to do, man. Do you want to go get my keys? And he was like, no, I already took care of it. You know, like, <laughs> and then there's like all these boats that come by and see AP and I like having a beer on the deck or whatever, or like just laughing maniacally down on the rocks or whatever it is that we're doing. It in the moment. <laughs> like there's a comedy. There's a very like Truman show esque uh, yeah. sort of vibe as well. So you feel Some like zoo vibe. animals in a sense. Yeah. Well, we don't really feel like we're on display, but we feel as though we have a presence in reality that is completely adjacent to our reality. Yeah, it's hard to discern whether we are the exhibit or are we, like, perceiving the exhibited. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe both. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That that sounds like insight from the fifth dimension. (laughs) (laughs) You betcha. Hey guys, I think I'm going to take a pee break. You mind if we take a pee break real quick? I see uh, an instrument behind you on on this Zoom video. Ah, yes. Yeah. The first thing yes. I remember, the first thing I remember about you, Leander, is is the the ba- the panjo, the panjo. Yeah, the panjo right. that you had strapped on on your rucksack. Tell right. us about the panjo, and and also tell us about this instrument behind you that you've been working on during the lighthouse residency. Sure, yeah. So um, while I was studying uh, contemporary sculpture in Chicago at the School of the Art Institute, I was also interning with a guitar maker because I grew up as a, as a musician and a pretty serious guitar player. And so I built a few guitars when I was an undergrad. And then I kind of, um, like, uh, the last instrument I built in my seven-year stint of living in Chicago was a banjo-like instrument that I kind of just wanted because I was like a hiking nerd. And uh, a friend of mine, a really talented artist, uh, Seijun Kim, was making nets um, by bending wood. And he taught me how to do it. And he gave me his leftover wood when he moved back to Korea. And uh, I built the panjo that you remember so fondly. And I built that thing to be the height of my tent pole at the time. And the resonating chamber, the back of the behind the skin, what projects the volume forward from my body is a titanium camping pan that I cook out of quite frequently and I bring that sucker everywhere and one of the beauties about meeting AP and bringing that to the Arctic was you know I got in with like totally different work like the work that I've sort of built a reputation with in the art world in the states and and uh, has been really highly conceptual stuff where I like figure out how to grow copper uh, in an electro bath to look like corals or I take styrofoam off the coast and i imbue it with little tiny vibrating robots and i make 
200 of them and they run around a floor and then I take big chunks of styrofoam and make a calming fountain that's actually really sort of gross you know and then but this like side of me that makes instruments and plays the instruments I make and travels with them has always been sort of a more like whimsical light-hearted expression of, of who I am and I brought that banjo to the Arctic because I I had this kind of uh, intention to just not be a sculptor in a place that doesn't need any sculptures you know like I wasn't going to go to the Arctic and install something It'd be way too hedonistic like that landscape needs nothing so but I was like did. here's my perfect opportunity to return to music you installed yeah. a you, you installed a tent on an on an ice floe if I remember correctly <laughs> yeah well calling it an installation is comical I would call that more of a performance yeah I did have that moment when Elaine Byrne the incredible artist was like I want to go and walk around on a floating ice sheet and uh and Alex was like I want to claim an an arch uh, an ice sheet we had we all had the opportunity to go out on one it was totally unreal and so I took my my moment to make a New Yorker cartoon and I set up a tent on a ice sheet smaller than the footprint of this lighthouse and I augered a hole in it and ice fished and I have this hilarious picture of me sitting in front of my tent ice fishing well I have two the first one behind me is nothing but open arctic ocean and the second one behind me is a national geographic icebreaker cruise cruise vessel you know they're both hilarious images <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would call it an installation, though. I took that tent down pretty quick. Oh, boy. You put it up, put it up quick, though. <laughs> oh, buddy. But, yeah, the Panjo, man. I uh, I build instruments. I love doing it. And I like building instruments that don't really exist. Like, I tell people I'm a banjo player, but, you know, as you know, that the thing I built doesn't really sound like a banjo. It sounds more like a South south asian or east indian or african instrument of some some like bizarre origin and but one of the things i like to do as a maker as a maker who's really transient is i like to um try to accomplish new like feats of craft and acoustics without the like normal shop context that a lot of craftsmen and sculptors rely on and I've been working on this uh, this new banjo-like instrument that has nine sympathetic strings and is in the range of a cello. It's a bass instrument. And I started working on it uh, about a year ago, kind of just like slowly pushing it forward in different shop environments where I was being employed as a fabricator. And kind of the, um, the synchronicity that this residency winded up uh, being during the same window of time that this banjo could get finished was really quite perfect and i brought some basic tools to finish it up i brought like a rasp i bought some sandpaper brought some cabinet scrapers brought some shellac brought all the frets i needed the little leather fretting hammer some files the wood i needed to make the bridge and uh the tuners etc and sort of for the first week of this residency while ap was doing all of his um magic with all of the audio that we had been recording i was down in what i call the garage level of the lighthouse kind of creating a very rhythmic carve mm -hmm. for hours on end and i like and i got it done day eight this new instrument it's complete and it sounds pretty wild and the 
the real majesty of it, the real synchronicity of it is it sounds like the fucking lighthouse, man. It like it it sounds tinny and deep and resonant and spaceless and like it exists in its own room and it doesn't really sound like anything else. And I'm really pleased and a lot of the music that is going to be coming out of this experience with AP here is going to feature this new instrument. Really excited about it. What I found so interesting about the Pancho is uh, that you could also cook with it. And I remember that evening that we spent in a forest in Oslo, in the Oslo suburbs. Good times, man. And I remember you... You were, if I remember correctly, you brought the pancho with you and it was disassembled into cooking equipment. And after we finished cooking over a, an open fire, I think we were, if I remember correctly, we were cooking kebab and, and mushrooms. You then, right, you then went on to assemble it back together before entertaining the locals with your talent. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, that was a good night. You were also entertaining the locals with your talent, if I remember. Oh, yeah, my, my, <laughs> with a Scot- Scottish accent. Yeah, I remember that. Legendary banter. Yeah. For, the, for, for those who don't already know, you provided the the introduction music to this podcast as recorded by that Pancho, the, That's right. that particular yeah. instrument. Yeah, man. Thanks for asking me to do that. It's an honor to be your intro. Oh, no problem. And that was that was recorded in Longyearbyen, in Svalbard. Yeah. Yeah, on the last day you came up to me and you were like, I think I'm going to start a podcast. I need an intro. Would you mind recording a little ditty? Did I say that? Or did I just say maybe I need some... I think I, I, think I was originally after some music to use as a... for, for a video... But I, that video never ended up coming together. Oh, but really? I kept In my that. memory, you were already thinking about your podcast, but maybe I've just uh, was embellished I? in that. You were definitely musing about the possibility of a podcast yeah. on the Antigua, from what I recall. Imagine, sure. a, imagine, a, imagine a, 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 a galley pod from that, <laughs> that triangular <laughs> table at the back. That would have been good. You know, a couple of... <laughs> couple of boom stands we would have been that would have been great but in what way does does the the panjo compare to this instrument behind you this banjo that you've that you've just finished making well they're very much in the same family i mean the reason i like banjo like instruments isn't necessarily um their cultural reference but it's because of someone who studied instrument making and acoustics um a skinhead is just the most efficient way to create volume. And uh, I've always wanted to make a bass-like instrument that I could play acoustically because um, I'm deeply invested in the sounds you can produce acoustically that, you know, are very hard to achieve otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, they very much sound like they're in the same family, but this one is like, it's in a totally different register than the panjo. Like, you know, the panjo is like a, it's in a pretty high register. It's got kind of like a soft yet piercing sound. Um, this new one sounds like you're playing a, 
cello-like instrument at the end of a really long cathedral. Like it sounds really distant, deep, moody. Um, yeah, it's uh, and of course the back of it's a walk, you know, a big pan. <laughs> yeah, that's the key. Uh, you can also cook with this new one. You can also cook with the new one. It's part of the trend, you know. I can't, I can't go out there just making singular use items. It's not part of my, not part of my thing. Everything's got to have multifunctionality. <laughs> so tell us, tell us how this, uh, how you design them. Then you design them to be taken apart, and obviously, you, well, you clean, you clean the walk before you put it back together. Yeah, maybe I haven't used the new walk yet. It definitely needs a good patina of use on it. It's part of the thing's, uh, part of the thing's purpose. But um, it's kind of just like a to me, an obvious opportunity because banjos rely on a resonant chamber that takes the sound because the strings are on the face of the banjo, they're tensioned onto the surface of the skin, and then the volume created by the skin is projected towards the player's body. So you need something that will resonate that sound and project it back out to your audience or to your space or wherever it is that you're playing. And uh, it might as well be a pan. Like, I guess it could be like a bowl, but it seems kind of like obvious to me that you should be able to just pop it on, pop it off. It's sort of like the least structural component of the instrument, but it really aids in its acoustic potential. And uh, the initial panjo kind of started it as like a joke, as like a as like a trope, as a kind of a folly and a and a comedy, but then the sound that it produced, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm on to something. And so it's kind of just become part of my signature uh, design ethos to incorporate this potential to cook and share communion outside of music. Mm. It's, uh, you know, like sculpture, photography, painting, they can all be more than they are. Why can't instruments? Yeah, I think. I might be going on a limb here, but, you know, I see some kind of parallel between this metal cast iron pan-like building that we live in. Yeah. And it's, and it's fading usefulness, but still it does, it is inherently a practical place of work, of a light that keeps ships from hitting this intense reef that we live on currently. Uh, and this, like, the practicality of the panjo kind of reflects that in a way where it's like doesn't it, this place could exist just for its aesthetic beauty and the joy that we take from like inhabiting it but it actually is serving a purpose and it does have a practical component which maybe you know not all artworks really you know embrace that no that most kind of utilitarian most like, don't we've been we've been in an era of art history that has gone away from use for ages yeah but I have a feeling it might be coming back. We'll see. You know, kind of making this space useful in a new way. Uh, hopefully, you know, that's, that's the goal. What's the future for the lighthouse? That's a great question. I mean, Randy, the owner of this place, you know, a lot of artists have come here. I think Randy said um, like five to six artists a summer come and spend time here. But uh, he's... From what I understand, he's trying to make the place more official 
And he's excited that AP and I are here uh, documenting so much of the potential of this space. You know, and AP and I have been talking a lot about how this place really is kind of perfect for sound nerds, music types. It's also perfect for writers, painters, you name it, thinkers in general. But um, I don't know. That's a good question. We got to get you a Randy on this podcast so he can talk to you about the lighthouse and kind of how he conceived of it and where it's going. That'd be great. I think he would be a great guest. Yeah, he really would. His, his, uh, his work, I think, definitely like interrogates use of space and spaces in an interesting way in right. the landscape. Right. Yeah, I'd love to. Should hook it up. So your your residency comes to an end in, in a few days. Mm, yeah. And then you go to New York City. That's right, yeah. To Correct. perform... Uh, a, a couple of shows as i believe tell us about right. tell us about those plans um yeah well you know like we're relatively unknown it's not like we have a following or anything but i'm a new york based artist i have a network of um people who who kind of like i have a really nice uh i don't know collaborative ethos with when it comes to creativity and uh, it seems like the obvious thing for Bang Clang to kind of get out of the cabin, get out of the boat, get out of the lighthouse and and share what we're doing to a broader audience. And this is really our first opportunity to do so. Um, so, yeah, we've we've got two concerts coming up. One is going to happen the day we get back. Like we'll get picked up by Captain Bob. We'll say hi to the new artists that are getting dropped off. We'll get brought back to my car. We'll load it up with all the gear and we'll drive straight to the venue and get ready for this concert all haggard and raggard and two weeks after a lighthouse. Um, and yeah, I mean, we don't really have anything concrete planned for it, but that's also part of our ethos. You know, we're just gonna, it's gonna be interesting because we will have spent two weeks responding to the sound of this lighthouse, but then the core of the Bankang project is to respond to the immediate environment that we're playing in. So we're gonna have to readjust pretty quickly to the sounds of the venue that we're playing um but it's exciting yeah i don't know it's gonna be fun if you have any new york listeners you know feel free to uh include my contact and i'll tell them how to get to the show <laughs> yeah plus ones or what's the deal uh it's uh yeah maybe i don't know whatever i mean the both spaces that we're performing in are going to be pretty intimate they don't have like a super unlimited capacity but um yeah, plus ones, why not? If we can, yeah, the space allows. Sure. What's the plan for you, AP? You're going back over the border to Canada eventually. Yes, correct. Once we've wrapped up our two concerts, I'll be heading back to the borderlands of my home. I uh, live on the border of Quebec, Canada, and Maine, literally right on the border crossing. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm preparing... My uh, my partner and I there are putting on a big festival in August, a new annual event called Ols Dues. Leander was there last year, um, and uh, yeah, we're gonna have a big music festival, art festival there. So we'll be spending the summer gearing up for that. After, but I'll just be living in the, the post lighthouse haze of, of glory, man. Like I'm just gonna be like <laughs> so blissed out as I was after the Arctic Circle residency. I was like, I lived on a cloud after that. I'm sure you did too, though. Man. Yeah, you left very quickly, though. And whereas me and Leander stuck around for a bit. 
I know. You guys are way cooler than me, you know. No, it's nonsense. I wish I had been there. Peter and I just have less going on. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 probably the true the true answer to that. You know, we make, I make my life seem so exciting, but under the surface, it's it's relatively mundane. Problem, you know, the relatively mundane task of everyday problems, problem solving, and reflection as an artist, which is actually so it's it's underrated and. You know, the amount of reflection that is required as an artist is enormous. Somebody asked me recently, how, how much do I actually spend time photographing or making images? And I said less than 10% of the time. And the oh, rest yeah. is research, development, reflection, figuring out, finding contacts, opening dialogues. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think, I think that's true of all artists. I think 10% of being an artist is doing the art. And the other 90% is setting up the parameters to be able to do it realistically mm -hmm. and effectively. Yeah. I think I live in the, the realm of ideation for like at least 70% of my time as an artist. I like walk around in the woods and think about what I want to do artistically. And the actual execution is like a very small fraction of that. Thankfully, though, I have this time here where I'm like creating like at a massive, massive pace of like intensity, like more content than I've created in the last years within this like short residency time, which is what it's all about. I think it's kind of like building up. Like I've had this all this like material building within me on a subconscious level almost and it's coming out now once we've been given this opportunity this space it's so it's invaluable man it's so amazing to like be given space to work and time but i believe yeah. that if the art piece is to have any worth in the world then it must demand us demand a response from us a thoughtful mm -hmm. response it, it it must it must ask us to think if it has it, if it has any place in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point too. That I think this, that that phase of reflection and ideation we're talking about is also extends to the listener or, or to the the audience, the person who's perceiving and you know, receiving our work. I think their reflection, their interpretation is like. A continuation of that work that is like essential as well. I mean, Absolutely. Again, it's exogamous. It's it's not married within its own tribe. Mm -hmm. And that's like that word. Love it. Endogamic would mean endogamic would mean married within your tribe, but exogamic means married outside of your tribe. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's the, that's the aim of these these conversations, though. It, it's to I'm obviously asking what your thoughts are, but I hope that these questions will also inspire our audience to ask themselves what their thoughts might be and what their response is going to be to the places and the spaces that they inhabit and that invites their questions. The best art I've ever seen has always made me uh, kind of like, or listen to or whatever, it always fades into reality after it's over, you know, like if you, 
can go to a museum show or listen to a podcast or attend a concert and then walk away with a, a relationship to the space that you inhabit that is more intimate, that's good art. Makes you attuned yeah. to something like a great, like, I don't know, it's communing with the artist who created it or the artists that created the work and it feels like you're part of something together that you're, you know, you've inhabited a little bit of their world. And then you're taking that into your own world and yeah. you exit from that space and you carry it with you. It's this continued collaboration all the time. Yeah. My ultimate goal as an artist is to inspire artistry as a whole. Mm. I don't uh, really care that much about self-celebration, but if I can help anyone else self-celebrate and feel artistic, then I'm doing my part. So if I was to say that art is a continuum of attunement. Would you agree with that sentiment? I love that sentiment, Peter. Thank you for saying it. Yeah, well, well put, man. Well summarized, definitely. Well, guys, I think that's uh, an excellent moment to call time on, on this conversation. We've gone on for almost two hours and it's been fascinating to hear about your experience in the lighthouse and how you've responded to that experience sonically and musically and as you said you have two shows is it two shows in new york that's right yeah on the 29th and on the 31st of this month so if any new york listeners would like to receive these musical insights in the flesh and have their own conversation with Leander and AP, and they happen to be in the vicinity of New York on these dates, I would very much encourage you to to do so. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you once again for your time this afternoon or this evening here in Helsinki. Um, yeah, it's been a privilege. It's been a pleasure. Man behind, man behind me. Love you, Pete. Dude, Pete, so, thank you so much for having us, man. It's really such a, such a pleasure to chat with you. And we're having such a good time here at the Lighthouse. It's fun to talk about it. Yeah, and we wish you were here too, by the way. Yeah, we've been you. talking about it. It'd be hilarious. You. It'd be a good time. Well, it feels good. like you're with us. So. It certainly does. But uh, next time I'll be there with you. Let's mm-hmm. let's do uh, the the three three Buccaneers, yeah. the, the triad of... Of the fifth dimension, so yeah, the uh, well, the Bang Clang um, cave iteration, you're included, and we require you to write lots of poetry to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Bang Clang cave editions, uh, that's coming up. Yeah, Sounds that's good. coming up, and you're doing that. You're, Sounds in, good. you're included. All right. All right, guys, thank you very much. All right, love you, Pete. Thanks, Pete. Have a good one, dude. If you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Leander and AP and you happen to be in New York City this week, I very much encourage you to witness their live performance at the Cardia Space in Manhattan on Wednesday the 31st of May at 6pm. Tickets are available by going to cardia.net slash events. Meanwhile, please consider supporting the podcast on Patreon via the link in the description. Until next time, thanks again from me, Peter Holiday, for listening.